Are you longing for real life change and lasting impact? Here at More To Be, we believe that is possible through a fresh encounter with God and His Word. I'm Lisa Pulliam. And I'm Leah Pulliam. And together we want to help you think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in His work every day. So mom, we're going to talk about understanding generational differences today. What makes this something you're so passionate about? I love it. (laughs) And so in case you guys didn't get that, Leah Pulliam is my daughter and she's uh, home from college for break and I thought I would grab her to do this particular bonus episode on understanding generational differences. And and really the reason I'm so passionate about it is because I'm a Gen Xer trapped in a millennial mindset, although less millennial than it used to be. We lived at a boarding school for 18 years, and so I basically spent the first 20 years of my adult life living with teenagers. (laughs) And so when you live with teenagers, uh, share a building with teenagers, eat with teenagers, worship with teenagers, talk with teenagers all the time, you tend to think more like they think, or you're at least more in touch with it. And what I was really seeing, especially as I kind of stepped out of that boarding school life and began functioning in what everybody likes to call the real world, Mm -hmm. where there's day school, there's church, and everything's kind of separated, I was noticing more and more of the segregation Mm -hmm. amongst the generations, that uh, adults aren't interacting with teenagers unless it's their own teenagers. And uh, the, the older generation, the gray hairs, aren't interacting with the younger generation. And so I could see it very noticeably um, in school communities and in our church community. So the new church that we became a part of when we moved here, uh, a pretty awesome age diversity. Yeah, definitely. Super awesome age diversity. I mean, I, I remember the first few weeks we were at our church, and we could not believe the number of people in their 60s and 70s and older who were worshiping in our darkly lit sanctuary with <laughs> rock band music up front, right? Like, it was, yeah. it, I think it very much felt like one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> and we came from such a traditional church experience that, I, for me, it really, it really struck me. But then the other thing that I noticed was on uh, Thursday morning Bible study, the, all the same colored hair types and same season of life, sat together around the tables. And so once you got rid of the pews or the, the, you know, the rows for sanctuary and people could choose to who they were going to go to and what Bible study group they were going to plug into, they went to their own kind. And I could overhear conversations that were polarizing rather than coming together. And it made me sad. So when I got ready to rewrite and expand, um, Impact Together, my book on biblical mentoring, I thought we need to have information on understanding our generational differences so that we could uh, come together. We need to stop segregating. We need to come together because the Titus passage in Titus 2, which we've talked about on this podcast, talks about the older women coming alongside and teaching the younger women and training them up. So how do we become people who bridge that gap? Mm -hmm rather than sitting in our own corners, our own tables. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. So um, what we're going to do is look at a passage from Psalm 78, uh, which I feel like really unpacks God's heart for the generations. And so Leah, would you go ahead and read that for us today? Yes, this is Psalm 78, 1 through 7. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying. 
for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children, so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Mm. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. I, as you were reading it, I was actually thinking of your Nana. Really? <laughs> what were you, were you thinking of what Nana would say to you right now as you were reading? No, I was thinking about the kids that I was a counselor to at camp last summer, and that I'll be a counselor to again this summer. Oh, tell me about that. Um, I got to work with kids from two and a half and barely potty trained up to new middle schoolers. Um, and some of them I've gotten to see since I've been home from break, the, the middle schoolers. And to see them getting back into church and helping out with Sunday school. And so they're reaching that age where it's their turn to start influencing the kids below them that they used to be. And even just watching how the, the counselors at this camp, at, at my church, used to be junior counselors and used to be campers in all of our different age groups and are now at the top of that and giving back and pouring into those um the younger kids in the camp that's that's where I went immediately that's neat neat. I was thinking Nana telling you enunciate Leah enunciate because of how much and you did a beautiful job (laughs) oh gosh but that was Nana Mm -hmm. the older generation influencing your life helping you with your homework when you were little helping you with those declamation contests (laughs) and and the things that she taught you that were so core to her generation, Mm -hmm. that communication and the way you present yourself and the way you speak is something that's really important. And (laughs) and so I was just, I was thinking about that in terms of what are some of the things that the older generation has passed down to the younger Mm -hmm. generation. And Nana spent time with you and Mm -hmm. shaped you in a way that maybe doesn't look to be biblical, but was helping round you out as a young woman mm-hmm. because of her time there. And I, I I think, you know, in all those years that we were at the boarding school and the years that Nana was there with us, I would have my friends say to me they wish they had their Nana mm-hmm. there to shape their kids' lives. Yeah. Uh, and so that is part of the void, right? If we are families that are stretched all over the country, all over the world in some cases, then we need the family of God to step in and fill roles that our natural grandparents can't fill in. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's neat that you went to the the camp situation because who shaped your life in terms of mentors? The teenagers that were in my life at the boarding school. Right. Their impact, I think, will last forever. I mean, it's influencing the way I see younger kids now. Yeah. And that's eight years later. That's eight years later. They poured into your life, and so mm-hmm. you see it as an overflow. Uh, this is what you do. Yeah. You pour into the next generation, and God has opened the door for that. So when we talk about generations, I'm not going to spend too much time kind of digging into the different generations because Impact Together covers that in detail, and the Impact Mentoring course unpacks all the generational differences. But in the context of mentoring, I think it's so important to know that there are uh, one, two, three, four, five, six different generations under the sun right now. 
So the traditionalists are um, people who were born between 1900 and 1945. So that's everyone around us that's like over age 72. Mm-hmm. That's actually a, a distinct generation. Uh, then there are the baby boomers. They're 1946 to 1964. They are men and women who are ages 53 to 71. And they are the baby boomers because they had the most children uh, <laughs> during, during their generation. And then uh, the next generation is Gen X, 1965 to 1980. So that's 34 to 52. But there's a new generation that they're describing as exennials. They are from 77 to 83 and would be currently 34 to 40-ish. And so the reason that that generation has emerged is they are the first generation in the digital age Mm. and the last generation to not experience, to not have digital. They are that transitional generation. And so technology has changed what would have been a defined generation into a split. That's so interesting. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Um, and then there's a Gen Ys, so they are 81 to 2000, and they are technically called our millennials. Uh, so they're ages 17 to 36, and then we have our Gen Zs, who were born after 2001 till now, so they're everybody who's under 16. So in our family, we have, Daddy and I are Gen Xers, but we think a lot like Gen Yers because of who mm-hmm. we spent 20 years of our life with. And then we have you, and you are Gen Y, but your siblings are Gen Z. Yeah, but I'm I'm close on that Gen Z bubble that people, I think, debate that. Yeah, 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 there is a debate, especially <laughs> everybody debates what the generations really are. So what's really important to know about the generations is that it the period of life that shaped your first 20 years uh, is what shapes your core values mm-hmm. and your outlook. And so you could see it really clear, like traditionalists were shaped by the World War I and World War II, mm-hmm. and their sense of die for your country, loyalty, mm. right? It's, it's so it, it makes so much sense. How they, um, they show honor to our country is very different than the baby boomers whose life was marked by the Vietnam War. And they, they don't want loyalty to the country. They want freedom. They want independence. And baby boomers were the first generation to spike the divorce rate. And so all the generations since have lived in the wake of that, Mm -hmm. of what is it like now to have not a grandmother and a grandfather, but two sets of grandmothers and two sets of grandfathers that sometimes you might have, you know, four sets of grandparents that you need to visit rather than two sets of grandparents Mm -hmm. you need to visit. And so how does that change things? Yeah. And then the economic situation. So uh, millennials, not millennials, I'm sorry, Gen Xers have the highest amount of debt of any generation. Mm-hmm. That's my generation. They, um, the cost of living has increased more than any other generation. And so the pressures on today's parents is higher than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And then you introduce technology. Hmm. What are your thoughts on technology? technology? As a Gen Y or Gen Z, or what's your thoughts on technology well, and I, social media especially? I think one of the most um, frequent conversations or frequent points that's brought up in conversations between Abby and I and you and Dad when we're talking about high school or like the stage of life we're in is that, yes, we understand that y'all get it because you've gone through high school and boy drama and friend drama and trying to navigate fitting in and all of that. 
Um, so you understand that piece, but you don't understand the influence of technology. So, I mean, I even look at the twins, seventh grade, and all of their friends have iPhones. And I remember seventh grade, I thought it was cool with my purple little slide-up phone. I thought <laughs> it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, right. And I look back and I'm like, man, just even in that span, the pressure of technology to have it, to use it, to be on Snapchat and Instagram uh, is so big. For people my age especially, it's having that Instagram aesthetic. That does your Instagram look a certain way? Does it have all the same like color scheme? That I can't even try to keep up with. That makes my head hurt. Uh, <laughs> But it's definitely another element of your life that you guys didn't have to experience. So Mm -hmm. you had some of the same pressures as us, but not the, I need to not just look perfect in real life. I have to look perfect in my virtual life and online life. So Yeah, I definitely, I I mean, in the 10 years from when you were in seventh grade to your your sibs being in seventh grade, it's been, the whole thing has changed. Mm -hmm. The whole game has changed as a parent and the pressure, I mean, I remember when I was in high school, the pressure I felt I could leave at the end of the day and go home. And mm. although my home was a mess, it was a different mess. And so there was an emotional break from my peers. Mm-hmm. The The most access I can get to them or they can get to me was through a phone that rang in the house. So my parents knew the phone was ringing yeah. as opposed to what is common now. It's, it's constant access. So I think one of the challenges with having our generations being so different, especially when it comes to communication, is that call from God in this passage to tell the stories of God's faithfulness from one generation to the next generation, that our way of storytelling has dramatically changed. We We all don't sit around a table necessarily and pass down stories, and when we do, we're distracted about what's on the phone or how do I capture this story to share what now with somebody else is never just about being a recipient of a story. It's about how do I turn the story and make it into something else? Would you say that that's a pressure that's felt? Yeah. I mean, Snapchat and Instagram, it's, they have stories. Like you're literally putting up a story of your life, but it's so curated. Yeah. And so you never know like how real it actually is. Right. So I, I think that's interesting where, you know, the Bible talks about passing on these stories and on social media, they literally want us telling stories, right. whether they're real and authentic or not. And so then you could kind of get why the older generations don't recognize that as a story because we see the curated part of it. Yeah. It doesn't seem authentic. This flesh face to face, this is relationship. Mm-hmm. This is, this is the way that you're supposed to do life and tell yeah. stories. But would you say that there is something real about the connections that can come from social media that it's not all fake? Oh, absolutely. Because one of the things I've been doing since we moved, I put up a Facebook album of photos for every season of life that I'm in. So junior year, senior year, summer, um, first semester, first year of college. And my aunt and my grandma, they go through and they like every single one of those photos. My aunt will sometimes text me about like what I just recently put up to ask about how I'm doing at college. Or my grandma, every once in a blue moon, will pull out her phone and text me about what she saw that I put up on Facebook. Um, and so that's been cool to see how I'm putting up stories of my life. And, you know, some of the, the pictures are edited just because I think that's sometimes fun. But it's also a connecting point to my aunt and my grandma and a conversation conversation starter so. it keeps you connected in yeah. a place that you wouldn't be connected yeah. I um 
yesterday I hosted a Facebook Live. I, I didn't get to tell you this. I think <laughs> I don't think so. I, I hosted a Facebook Live for the More to Be Tribe group, and we're looking at scriptures every week. So Thursdays we talk about the two key scriptures from the raw scripture study that we're doing. And I get live on Facebook, and the very first person that shows up is my friend Beth. My friend Beth is the person in this world, apart from blood, that I have known the longest. I went to preschool with her. Mm. I went to elementary school with her. We moved from Illinois to New York when I was in fifth grade. Do you remember? And then Beth and her family came and and visited us in New York when they were visiting other family. And, And so I've seen her once in my adult life, and yet because of technology, because of Facebook, Mm -hmm. we were able to interact and I'm able to pour into her with scripture and she's able to be encouraged, you know, halfway around the country. So I have, I have a favorable impression of social media and technology Mm -hmm. because I have seen the way it enables relationships to continue Mm -hmm. to grow and to connections to continue to happen. However, I know that it's also something that we can become addicted to. Mm-hmm. And do you know the moment I'm thinking of when we both realized how bad our addictions were? We were mm-hmm. on a trip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what trip was that? Do you remember? Was that the Bahamas trip? Yeah, yeah. And we had no cell service. And I remember the first day, we all just kept like pulling out our phones as habit to check to see if there was anything. By the end of it, we weren't doing that anymore. Right, right. And I remember... You, it, we don't go to the Bahamas regularly, people. This was a, this was a celebration for my father-in-law's birthday, and it was a gift from my husband's family to us. And we were able to go celebrate his birthday together. And we didn't realize because we had never cruised before that <laughs> when they say no cell service, they literally we mean, mean like nothing. nothing. <laughs> so we sailed out. I remember sailing out of port. We should have all been celebrating, but there was a panic amongst us <laughs> of we were being cut off yeah. from all of our connections. We were all joking about who was going to have the hardest time with it. I don't know. Who do you think <laughs> had the hardest time? Well, I think we thought Abby was going to have the hardest time, but she ended up doing really, really well. I I think I was the worst. (laughs) I do think I was the worst. (laughs) And so uh, there was one point that Leah and I were waiting. We were laying on the lounge chairs, right? And I will never forget you saying to me, Mom, if I had my cell service right now, I'd have the phone above me looking at that instead of seeing this beautiful blue sky (laughs) and soaking in the sun. And it was so good for us to unplug. When we came back, I think we all realized that this was an addiction. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started doing all my social media research. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for this, um, that there is this thing called the dopamine loop. Mm-hmm. And so in a 140-character tweet, dopamine is released and the addiction it's crazy. kicks in. <laughs> and dopamine is the same thing that makes people addicted to gambling alcohol, sex, driving fast, you name it. And so we're using devices that that scrolling method uh, uh, brings about that dopamine hit and causes us to have a bigger and bigger hit of dopamine and then want it more and more. And so how do we navigate social media and technology when it's something that we use for good things but also is is a challenge. So you were telling me a story before we got on about you in the post office yesterday. <laughs> I, I think this is a really good example of how we set healthy boundary lines on on our use of technology without cutting ourselves off completely from 
using social media and technology. So I think one of the challenges of the phone is that it communicates a message of I'm unavailable. Mm -hmm. And what we need to do, like the older generation to the younger generation, needs to push through that they're on their phone, they don't want to talk to me, and look at it from the perspective of they're on their phone because that's what they do. I'm going to just barge in and start Mm -hmm. the conversation anyways. Yeah. Right. And at the same time, you're representing kind of the younger generation saying there are times that maybe we just shouldn't pull it out. Mm -hmm. Like, can it just stay in the pocket to see what conversations might start Mm -hmm. organically? And I think, you know, why am I harping on the social media thing? Because it is the obstacle Mm. is the obstacle that stands in the way of connecting Because the older generation feels stupid and ill-equipped and unfamiliar and out of touch. And anytime somebody feels stupid, ill-equipped, and out of touch, they're not going to engage. Mm -hmm. And the younger generation feels judged and criticized and looked down upon and snubbed. And anytime somebody feels that way, they're not going to engage. And so we have to look at... If God is calling us to teach the hidden lessons from past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us, if we're going to teach about the faithfulness of God, and that's going to come through the Titus 2 kind of relationships, parakaleo is what I've talked about, the encouraging by doing life side by side. We have to move the obstacles out of our way and say, I am pursuing wholehearted engagement. And so that means I might have to do things a little bit differently in order to set that up for a healthy relationship and that other person hopefully will be willing to do that too. And then we could come together because the hope of God won't get passed down without story. Mm-hmm. A preacher at the front of a church on a Sunday morning can communicate truth and give a moment of hope. But in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a heartache, and I'm thinking about some that you've walked through, A Sunday sermon isn't going to solve that problem, but having somebody to run to and talk to is. Mm -hmm. Because that person, hopefully that older person, is going to be able to say, but Jesus is your answer. He is your hope. God is faithful. Here is the word. Let's look at it together. And until you're at that point as a younger generation where you know the word fully for yourself, You need it to come not through the form of let's read the Bible together, but you need it to come through relationships. Mm -hmm. Would you say I'm like tracking right here? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we should wrap up. Hopefully we have put forth enough uh, challenging thoughts. What would be a challenge question that you would have uh, for our listeners in your generation? And I'll pitch a challenge question for my generation. Hmm. Let's see, how do I pose this? Get off of your phone and talk to people. <laughs> it's, it's uncomfortable, um, and it's not always easy, but it will be rewarding, and we have to help bridge the gap between the generations just as much as the older generations do. And so while you might think, you know, oh, they're too judgmental, too critical, like, well, they think we're just self-absorbed. So, it, you know, it goes both ways, where when we feel snubbed, we're not going to reach out. Yeah. But reach out. Get off of your phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I heard somebody do a, a challenge with that, that they 
when they're with their friends at a table mm -hmm. that they put their phones in the center and the first person to touch their phone has to pay the bill. Yeah. Uh, that would be great for a college age <laughs> if you're, if you all are struggling with that or just checking, checking the phones in the kitchen instead of bringing them to the dining room table mm -hmm. or, um, there's a great uh, video that I'll put a link to on this. I can't think of. It's Simon Sinek is his name. He talks about millennials in the workplace. And he said that it used to be when you showed up to a meeting, you would have small talk with the people you were sitting next to. And that small talk eventually builds relationships mm -hmm. because each week you show up at the same place and you continue to talk. But today's generation has their phone and so they're not having small talk because they're small talking with their phone <laughs> yeah yeah and so <laughs> it's true it, it it's i'm guilty guilty as charged uh so how can we leave our phones um out of sight when we're in a situation where we have an opportunity to connect with other people mm -hmm. for the sake of building relationships not because the device is from the devil mm -hmm. right exactly so my challenge is uh for my generation and older is to be really careful what we say, uh, to watch the running commentary because it's overheard and I think it shuts down the, the ways that we can connect. Mm -hmm. Like we really need to think, are our words critical and judgmental sounding because that's just going to shut down relationship. And then in regards to the phone usage, I would say, uh, what are we modeling Mm -hmm. And are we willing to say to our kids, do you feel like I'm on the phone too much? Do you feel like I'm, I'm distracted? And then make the changes. And there, I'll put, I'll put a bunch of links in the show notes for uh, tools that are kind of out there to help with those boundary checks if that's something that is just too hard to do of, of our own uh, will. Some of us are really weak in will, mm -hmm. uh, and so we need those helps. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for the importance of generational differences and understanding that you have a place for the generations to pass the stories of your faithfulness on to the next generation. You say in your word here that each generation should set its hope anew on you, not forgetting your glorious miracles and obeying your commands. But God, we know that that can't happen if we're not in relationship with one another. So I pray, God, that you would help us to see the obstacles and tackle them and build the bridges so that we can connect one generation to the next for your glory. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the More to Be podcast. We are praying you've experienced a fresh encounter with God and his word through being with us today. Be sure to visit moretobe.com slash podcast for show notes and free downloadable resources. May you continue to think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in his work every day.